0: Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. Hi, this is Shane Vanderhart. Welcome back to another episode. I had the privilege of being able to speak with uh, Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, If you go to his website, askdrbrown.org, he has a kind of a lengthy biography, and I'll read some of that for you. Uh, Michael Brown is the founder and president of Ask Dr. Brown Ministries and of the Fire School of Ministry in Concord, North Carolina. He's the host of daily nationally syndicated talk radio show called The Line of Fire. He also hosts uh, TV shows on God TV, Me TV uh, in Israel and the Middle East, as well as NRB TV. He became, his, his biography reads, he became a believer in Jesus in 1971 as a 16 year old heroin shooting. LSD using Jewish rock drummer, and since then he's preached throughout America and around the world, bringing a message of repentance, revival, reformation, and cultural revolution. He holds a Ph.D. in Near Eastern Languages and Literatures from New York University. He has served as a visiting or adjunct professor at Southern Evangelical Seminary, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Charlotte. Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is connected to my alma mater, Trinity International University, is actually under that, Uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, Denver Theological Seminary, the King Seminary, and uh, Regent University School Divinity. He has contributed numerous articles to scholarly publications, including the Oxford Dictionary of Jewish Religion and Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament. Uh, Dr. Brown is the author of more than 35 books, um, which of which we're talking about one today called the, uh, called evangelicals at the crossroads. Will we pass the Trump test? So, uh, he has a lot of background in, on with old Testament and theology, but we wanted to talk about, uh, practical, practical, practical application of how Christians could, can view the 2020 election, um. He and I may disagree on some of the, these things, not necessarily in our interview, uh, but I just want to point out, I don't always agree with everything my guests say. Uh, sometimes people think people think I only bring on people on this podcast I completely agree with. Um, he's, he's a Trump supporter. I'm still, I'm closer than I definitely was in 2016. I'm skeptical, but I'm open. Um, so I'm not saying I'm never Trump. Uh, I'm not saying I'm definitely voting for Trump. Uh, frankly, I will probably never say exactly what I did in 2020, or I plan to do in 2020. I, I'm definitely not making an endorsement. Um, I've made that pretty clear. But so he may, he and I may not necessarily see this eye to eye. But I wanted to, have, to talk to him about his book because uh, I think it's, I think it's balanced. He talks about, uh, basically makes a case for why evangelicals shouldn't support Trump, and then makes a case why evangelicals can support trump and uh and then balances out with how christians should approach the 2020 election. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Michael Brown. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us on the Caffeinated Thoughts podcast. Hey, great to be with you. Thanks. So you wrote a book called Evangelicals at the Crossroads. Will, will we pass the Trump test? And uh, a lot of my listeners know that I did not vote for, for President Trump in, in 2016. I voted for Evan McMullen And I kind of actually, I, I regret voting for Evan McMullen because of some of the things he said since – and my, my position has softened, but I'm still, I still, not, I I tell people I'm I'm open. Um, unlike 2016, I wasn't open for voting for Trump. Now I'm I'm open for voting for Trump because of, uh, because some things he's done in office. Uh, he's not necessarily an unknown quantity to me now. Um, but you mentioned you know you mentioned how divisive he's been. Uh, how how. Why has Donald Trump been such a divisive figure among evangelicals? I, I've experienced that. I, I know you've experienced that. Why do you think that is?
1: Okay, so just uh, who he is, he's a very divisive person. Uh, you're going to be for him or against him. It's it's very difficult to be uh, indifferent. Uh, when, when it comes to Trump, it's very difficult to be neutral. So that is uh that's just obvious for everybody but for evangelicals in particular he's uniquely divisive on the one hand you could argue that he's done more for evangelical causes than any president in memory he has been staunchly pro life he has he has kept his commitment to appoint conservative justices he has pushed back against radical lgbtq activism he has stood with israel he has fought for religious liberties He's done many things that are very important to evangelicals in in ways that are kind of unprecedented. And he's kept his door open to evangelical Christians who continue to surround him, pray with him, and seek to speak into his life. So you could say he's done more for evangelical causes than any president in memory. On the flip side, he's done more to hurt the evangelical cause than any president in memory, because to the extent we are associated with him – We now become responsible for his lies, his exaggerations, his Mm -hmm. savaging of other people, his juvenile tweets and things. And then you have the left-wing media making him into a complete monster who's lost his mind, and anyone who votes for him is therefore a white supremacist, racist, and also out of their mind. So it's a unique situation. That's why I start my book with a chapter on the enigma of Donald Trump and the quandary of evangelicals
0: so yeah i i it seems like it you know anytime i've you know i've i've never Trump friends still uh even though i feel like those of us who have criticized donald trump are still kind of in a minority at least the vocal minority uh among uh white evangelicals in particular um because it seems it it seems like i you know a growing number of evangelicals at least pre-2016 and shortly after 2016 I think it was like eighty some percent evangelicals supported Donald Trump. I think that number has dropped slightly since, uh, but there's still there's still a, a you know a, a majority consensus, a vast uh, a a huge majority that that support Trump. But but yeah, it's just it's it, you know anytime anytime I I would criticize Donald Trump, e- even when I was, you know trying to do it in a um, diplomatic way. <laughs> <laughs> and I've also tried to praise him, too. But it seems like it seems like for those who 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 criticize Trump, who are totally against Trump, it doesn't matter if you've criticized him, if you ever praise him. It's like, oh, I can't believe you do that. And on the flip side, those who support Donald Trump, if it doesn't matter what, you know, policy or or stance he's taken that you've you've praised. oh how dare you criticize Donald Trump and you you know judge not lest you be judged. I don't know if you've probably heard that. I've heard that numerous times. So it's, it's yeah, it's definitely a unique situation. So um, what do you mean by the Trump test?
1: Right, so by, by the Trump test, I mean two things. One, can we vote for Trump based on his policies? And based on the the binary choice we have. So I know you voted for Evan McMullen and that was a conscience vote, but Mm -hmm. realistically it was it was either going to be Trump or Hillary in and and any vote that was not for the one in a sense was for the other. Well given the binary I
0: I was I was I was kinda hoping he was gonna upend Trump in in Utah possibly cause a electoral college (laughs) <laughs> OK, so you're no. out
1: that far on the on limb. All yeah, right. Yeah. But it, re- realistically, realistically, uh, for most, it was a vote between Hillary and Trump and now between Hillary and Biden. So can we make a case in terms of the binary choice we have why far and away Trump is a better person than Biden for the things that are most important to us while conducting ourselves in such a way that we don't compromise our witness? So can we vote for Trump and yet maintain our witness before a watching world at the same time? That's part one of the Trump test. Part two, can we differ about Trump without destroying each other in the process? Can we still walk in love towards each other? Because the day we stand before Jesus, we're not going to be asked what we did with Donald Trump. We're going to be asked what we did with the Lord. That's going to be the big question. And yet we've made loyalty or disloyalty to Trump— the, the hallmark of, of orthodoxy. Look, it is true that 81% of white evangelicals supported Trump in, in 2016. By the way, all the polling I've done has indicated that he has gained more evangelicals than he's lost them okay. in terms of – it's polling you know, hundreds of thousands, and it's still within – it's not a scientific poll. Right. But from, because he's become a known entity, we see all the good and all the bad. Uh, right. when, when my wife and I voted for Trump in 2016, at that point, I was willing to have a good amount of hope, but I'd had, I, I had serious trepidation. My wife, Nancy, had massive trepidation and a little hope. And the way I put it is that all of my hopes have been realized and all of her fears have been realized. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the, that's the way it's played out. He has is, he is gone far beyond what I would have thought or in terms of keeping his word and keeping his door open evangelicals, because people just don't do it. They get elected and they they do other things. Mm -hmm. But then he's been everything we hoped he he wouldn't be in terms of his behavior and his immaturity and his divisiveness. So we have to weigh this out. We have to look and then say, okay, maybe we don't vote at all. Or we say, okay, we understand it's an imperfect system. Politics is imperfect Unless Jesus himself is ruling and reigning at a theocracy, which will happen when he returns, right. until then, it's all going to be a mix. There is a swamp in Washington. The, the political system has as much corruption as anything else uh, mm-hmm. out there. Uh, and and you're, you're going to have deal makers and back and forth. Look, if you had a guy that wasn't like Trump. Then he'd be more of a deal-maker and more of a compromiser, and then we wouldn't like that. Oh, you sold us out here. You compromised here. If you're just going to hold your ground, you're going to be absolutely hated and despised, and you're going to have a target on your back. And then when you fight back the way Trump does, all the more target. But what we have to tell the world – and again, it's a major reason that I wrote Evangelicals at the Crossroads – But we have to tell the world is this. Listen, listen. Jesus is my Savior. He is my all in all. He is my life, my strength, but he's the one I, I, I am devoted to. If you want to know who I am, watch my relationship with him. Trump is my president. He gets my vote. It, that's all it is, is a vote. And most Americans think it's important that we have this opportunity to cast a vote. So we do it. It could be for the local school board. You know, look, if, if my kids were in a local public school, and the school board was radically liberal and had some ridiculous agenda was trying to push through, I would make my voice known to the school board, and then I'd wonder I wonder if some of us should run for the school board to bring about change. If I'm gonna complain about what's in the school system and not do something about it, then I'm being hypocritical. So most Americans are concerned about the direction of the country. Most evangelicals are upset about so many things happening in the courts and the erosion of our liberties and freedoms, etc. As we look at the broader picture now, it's kind of like Trump versus the extreme BLM movement or Trump versus social anarchy. And, you know, what, what's the choice? Okay. Given my binary choice, he gets my vote, but it's only a vote. He doesn't get my soul.
0: Right. And, and yeah, um, totally. I totally get where you're coming from there. And, and part, partly, you know, as we approach 2020, that's been part of my, thinking as i'm considering you know how i'm going to vote uh i've not exactly been thrilled with any third party choices either uh so of course you might have kanye i don't know kanye i'm kidding <laughs> kanye is an interesting figure but I, I don't think i'd want him as president either but anyway uh you know I, I i've told people if i'm softening towards trump first of all and you do this in your book you distinguish i can't remember the exact phrase you used but I do this, too. I, I distinguish between what he actually do- says and what he actually does. And I'm thankful that he doesn't have a lot of follow-through on some of the things that he tweets. Uh, but he has he has kept campaign promises, uh, some campaign promises that I, I've liked. I've liked uh, what he's done with the judiciary. I liked I like what he's done on uh, pro-life um, things. So... Um, i 'm curious and because you know what we're seeing with within the church and some of this division I've had a, a I had a never Trump um, evangelical I, I, I speak with a lot and he, you know he's concerned about what this is communicating to the younger generations how do you think and, and I think people are are turned off by our you know evangelical defensive Trump how do you think we can approach that and and reach out to these younger evangelicals are becoming dismayed by what seems to be this marrying
1: between uh older evangelicals and donald trump it's it's a real challenge for a couple of reasons one is that the younger evangelicals have been very very heavily influenced by their peers and by social media and by the media in general long before trump was president There were these issues of generation gaps on views, say, about homosexuality and things like that before Trump was president. So there was already uh, a gap to be bridged in terms of values, in terms of of what came first and what was most important. So we have to recover some of that lost ground and help the younger generation that is passionate for justice and equality – Help them to see that God's ways are the only ways to real, really achieve justice and equality, and the world's ways will go in the exact opposite direction. So that, that's the larger battle that we have to fight. When it comes to Trump, we all we, we have to diffuse a lot of the lies from the left. You know that Trump said that neo-Nazis are very fine people, or things like that, or that Trump enjoys putting people in cages, or Trump wants to ban all Muslims, and some of the sound bites that get misrepresented. We have to diffuse some of that with truth. And a good way to do it is when they express their, their dismay with Trump savaging someone or calling this one a dog or throwing this one under the bus. Actually, yeah, I hate that too. Boy, I, I don't like that. I wish he wouldn't do that. But let me ask you a question. How do you think God feels about the slaughter of babies in the womb? how big that you were selling of baby parts. And, you know, you realize that Hillary Clinton was, was all for that and, and that, that Trump is trying to save baby lives. And, you know, how do you feel like Christians being slaughtered in other parts of the world and Islamic terrorists killing them or China oppressing them? You know, Joe Biden's like good friends with China and that, that Hillary was, was not strong against Islamic terrorism. And see, these things matter also. Uh, you know, how do you feel about a 15 year old boy playing on, on, uh, on the softball team with a 15 year old girl, even though she doesn't want to, and then they share the same locker room and shower stalls at, at high school? Do you know that under President Obama, that was the law? And if a school refused to do that to protect the girls, they would lose their federal funding, and, and Trump's administration has overthrown that? So try to first say, yeah, I hate that. I wish you wouldn't do that. It's cruel. It's mean. And and then present the other issues, say, don't you think these matter also? And and then also expose lies. So get them to distrust some of the soundbite media that they're so used to. Look, young people today are as capable of, of deep thought as anyone else, except This whole generation is basically an ADHD generation. Mm -hmm. Everything soundbite, capsulized for, for all of us that are digitally wired. uh, We're distracted constantly. So young people have to be taught how to think things through and think critically, you know, and uh, love wins. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Right. So you're, you're good with like three men and two women. That's crazy. No, no, well, here's actual families like this. You know, and you're okay with, so, you know, a 30-year-old man and a 50-year-old boy, as long as it's consensual. Well, no, but they love each other. So what you have to do is get them to think things through. And then if you can present, plant a seed of doubt in terms of what some of the media is telling them, and it's biased on the right and the left, It's just that often on the left, you think you're actually watching news. It's it's supposed to be news as opposed to an opinion talk show. So if you can get them to question some of the things, then they can think more deeply. And then you can say, you know, a major reason I'm voting for Trump is for you and for your kids. Because the way it's going, you're not going to have the freedoms that we had. And you're not going to be able to raise your kids the way we raised you. So a lot of what we're doing we're doing for you. If we can get them to understand that, first it will remove the tension and yeah. the judgmentalism. Secondly, it it may change their thinking. I I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, Al Moler. Uh so Dr. Al mm-hmm. Moler, one of the the most prominent Southern Baptist leaders in in America. Uh yeah. he couldn't he couldn't vote for Trump in 2016 just like you. Mm-hmm. Come 2020, he says, yes, Trump has been a huge embarrassment for the church, but given the alternative, he gets my vote. Daniel, Daniel Pipes, Middle East expert, I believe he was a Cruz supporter like I was. He was a never-Trumper. He was an out and proud never-Trumper. I, I mean, he was willing to, to fight against Trump and oppose Trump. Now he, he finds his character somewhat repulsive in terms of his behavior – but he says the way he's led, and as far as international issues and international security in the Middle East, he goes, "I'm voting for him." Right. So we have to. And again, as I've surveyed people, let's say on my Twitter feed—that's that's small. It's like forty-two thousand something, but it's easy to do polling there. Easier than on Facebook, where we have a, a big following. Mm-hmm. But when I've asked the question, "How many of you voted for Trump in 2016?" It's, it's about two-thirds of my Twitter followers. Okay. When I ask them. How many are going to vote for Trump in 2020? It's about 90% or higher of, of that group. Mm-hmm. When I asked the, the other group, do you plan to vote for Trump in 2020? You didn't vote for him in 2016. You plan to in 2020. It's about half. Mm-hmm. So he picks up more than he loses because, one, people see he's kept his word. That was one of my biggest concerns. Mm-hmm. And, two, they see the alternatives. Yeah. And, and Trump – being Trump is kind of a human wrecking ball, and he brings a lot of stuff to the surface. And he's brought to the surface the incredible bias of the media. Uh, he has brought to the surface the radical left, uh, left-leaning nature of the Democrat Party. And he's brought to the surface a lot of hypocrisy in the church, where we decried the character of Bill Clinton, but we defend the character of Donald Trump. So he's brought a ton of stuff to the surface, just being who he is. Right. We, we understand ourselves better now, for better or worse, but I do believe there's a path forward. I mean, I lay it out in, in detail in the last chapter of the book, a path forward as, as to why we can vote for Trump, although that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is the conduct of the church, but why we can vote for him and yet maintain a godly testimony before the world and before the younger generation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as far as what you're seeing, as far as uh, Trump picking up evangelical support, at least among, you know, your your followers, uh, certainly I've told people if anybody's convincing me to to possibly vote for Donald Trump in 2020, it's it's the left. Not necessarily any argument he's making, exactly uh, because they've just, uh, you know, watching watching the president, the Democratic presidential uh, field before it got winnowed down to uh, Joe Biden. It was like they were tripping over themselves who could who could be the you know the most on the left and and i you know there were only a maybe a handful of of those uh in that field that i would say you got ones who are fairly sane and ones who are completely insane and and you know i'm just like uh, even even joe biden who used to be i, I would never call him a moderate but you know there was he, he at least seemed to embrace some sanity on some issues. You know he's even tacking to the left, so it's 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 uh, yeah it's it's not, uh, that that has been the probably the biggest thing pushing me toward Trump in 2020 than anything else. Um, you in your book you ask how uh, or has God uniquely raised up Donald Trump? So I wanted to ask you, has he?
1: My answer is yes. Now, I say uniquely because you want to recognize God's sovereignty in in our affairs and he doesn't just sit passively by to watch and oh, this one got elected. Good, okay. Right. Now how are we gonna handle that? So I believe on a certain level that God is directly involved with our elections and outcomes, but on the other hand, it is a democratic republic and the way things are set up, we reap what we sow, so we, we vote certain ways. So something ha- has to be over and above the norm for me to say God uniquely raised up Trump. But there are two main reasons why, why I do believe that's the case, and I need to qualify what that means. I believe it's the case, one, because before Trump even ran for office, there were prophecies about him being president and certain significant things happening with him as president. And then early in the primaries, there were a number of prophetic leaders in different parts of the world, all unbeknownst to each other, who got words about Trump being president and it they got blasted for it they said look we're not justifying who we're not we're not even saying we support him it just we believe it's going to happen so that got my attention uh, a couple of the folks I know personally and they're people of integrity and I was in prayer I was I was seeking the Lord because I I opposed Trump I wrote against him I warned against him I said look I hope I'm wrong and if it's Trump versus Hillary I'll reevaluate but Right now, I've major concerns. I remember getting on my knees, saying, "God, I don't see it. I, I, are you raising? I just don't see it. I'm missing something here, you know." But I, I've got to, I got to go by my conviction, so I continue to oppose him, but with that question mark. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. That was a bit uncanny. The other thing is that, as of the the day of the elections, so in November of 2016, there were numerous polls that that gave Trump a maximum of 15% uh, chance of getting elected. There were others that gave him 1%. I mean, New York Times had an article with a range of polls, Mm. and and there were leading polls, respected polls, that says 1% chance of getting in. So the fact that he got in, if you remember watching the news coverage that night, it was it was quite a spectacle. As the what could it not, uh, what is it Trump? Uh, I, I mean the, the, right. the complete shock. Well, Trump, Trump rented a, a smaller ballroom than Hillary because it looked like he wasn't. You know, he didn't he didn't want to have this giant ballroom celebration, and he's lost. And and Hillary was ready for the big thing. So. When we say God raised him up uniquely, some of the prophetic words pointed to Isaiah 44 and 45. And in those chapters, it says that God will raise up King Cyrus, who is an idol-worshipping king who doesn't know the Lord, to restore Jerusalem and restore the exiles which was completely unlikely because Cyrus is the head of the, the Persian Empire with the fall of Babylon. You expect him to continue to crush the exiles and extend his rule. Instead, he restored the exiles to their homeland, which is the opposite of what the kings would do at that time, and say, hey, rebuild the temple to your god, pray for me, as if, as if he worshipped that same god. But it was just talk. So the, the word about Cyrus was God was raising up a pagan king. And in my book, I quote words from Cyrus from 539 B.C. It's wild to read what he actually said out of his own mouth and praising the gods of Babylon and stuff like that. God says, I'm calling you by name even though you don't know me. So it really seemed to be the same with Trump, that God was raising him up. I mean, he even moves the embassy to Jerusalem. I mean, he even ties in with Jerusalem again, just like Cyrus, an unlikely candidate who may not know the Lord at all, and yet is fighting for the Lord's causes. The parallel seems to be real, but it doesn't mean everything he does is good or right. And it could well be God raised him up for one term, also to bring judgment as well as blessing. God's ways are, are multitasking all the time. Right. Very true. You know, um,
0: yeah, I was wondering as far as, uh, oh gosh, I had a question in the top of my head. I lost it. Um if I if I think of it, I'll come back. moving on. What happened to the even uh, to the evangelical saying that character counts? Aren't evangelicals, you know, aren't aren't they using a different standard when it comes to Trump? Because I I know that's something that frustrated me. You mentioned that earlier as well, uh, briefly. That it seems like we have a one we had one standard that we used for Bill Clinton, and we got a completely different standard that we're using for Donald Trump. And the only difference seems to be. Well, Bill Clinton was against us, Donald Trump is for us.
1: Yes, uh, in certain ways that's true. In certain ways we've been hypocritical and it's hurt us. And when you see the quotes that I have from the late 90s with, uh, with Bill Clinton and, and you compare them to what some of those same leaders are saying today, yeah, it's, it's jarring and it's embarrassing in certain ways. When we have defended him at any cost, whatever he says, well, you're going to put another spin on it. On the other hand, on the other hand, he has kept his word in very difficult circumstances. That's a matter of character. There are no accusations of him committing sexual sin in the White House. I believe if there were, our tone would be very different. And when he has done things that have upset evangelicals like pulled our troops out of Syria, And now there's concern. What about the Kurds? And what about the Christians there? There was an outcry. I mean, Pat Robertson, public warnings and and others raising their voice and even Franklin Graham speaking out uh, that this is unhelpful. So if Trump did something else that we felt was was major in terms of hurting others, uh, we'd speak out. And, And the other thing is the most major evangelical leaders have access to Trump. One of my colleagues can still call him on on his personal cell phone, and and Trump will answer if he's free. They do try to speak into his life. In other words, here's their policy. He's really fighting for good causes, moral causes, just causes – and he cares of, about the, the well-being of those in the inner cities and things like that. People have met with him privately, Tell me that no matter how narcissistic the guy is, he does care about the poor and hurting, and he wants to do things to, to benefit them. And that's a, a big reason for economic growth to, to help the, the, the lower classes. So they feel that he's being loyal on that front. Mm-hmm. If he does something they don't like – They don't feel the proper thing for them to do is publicly blast him, but to speak with him privately. So that adds to the dynamic. What I feel, though, is that we have to say publicly, yeah, I I don't like when he did that, and I've spoken to the president about it. You don't have to throw him under the bus. You don't have to trash him. You can say, I so appreciate Uh, that he's been appointing conservative justices. It's making a difference in in district after district across America. But, yeah, I I, I wish he didn't tweet that out. And I've spoken to the president. Uh, Just say that. uh, We need to demonstrate more integrity in that regard instead of, well, I like the way he fights back. I think it's good that he does. Not when he calls somebody a dog. Not when after his Mount Rushmore speech, which is inspirational and patriotic and pro-black American in many ways and outstanding ways – to then right after that go after Bubba Wallace in a tweet, it's like, oh, so I can say great speech, I stand by the speech, that's the president I support, and yeah, I, I wish he didn't tweet against Bubba Wallace. That was uncalled for, unwise, and unpresidential. Let's say that. Let's show integrity. Well,
0: I know some people will warn that you know seeking after having you know access to the president, and we have seen sometimes how President Trump responds to even the, the slightest criticism. Uh, that there's a tendency to want to uh, – I'm not going to – because I know he's going to respond in a particular way, I'm not gonna, going to um, criticize him publicly at all. <laughs> uh, does, doesn't sometimes seeking after access have a tendency to potentially corrupt one, you know, somebody's It witness? can.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a big question in my book. Have we sold our souls for, for a seat at the table? I believe in the vast majority of cases, the answer is no, because I know some of the people involved, and I know how they've spoken to the president directly, and I know why they're standing with him in terms of larger issues, not so that we have power over people, but so that we can fight for the unborn, that we can fight for religious liberties, that we can fight against stuff like Gavin Newsom saying, go out and protest on the streets all you want, but you can't sing in church Go out and protest on the streets in California, but you can't meet in a home Bible study. This is this is what it's coming to, and and a lot of these evangelical leaders recognize that. So uh, again, as as looking at the clock, I guess as we're coming towards the end, Mm -hmm. it's it's important that we major on the majors. The first thing is preaching Jesus, knowing Jesus, making him known, living out a consistent testimony. That's that's the, the biggest thing we've got to do before the world, and, and proclaim that, that Trump is our president, but Jesus is our savior, and he's our all in all. Jesus gets our life and soul. Trump gets our vote. And, and, and proclaim that we put the cross before the flag. We've got to do this, but then let's also not lose sight of the fact that America is in a critical position right now that we are teetering on a massive national collapse into anarchy or Marxism or a radical left, ruthless ideology. Only awakening in the church that spreads into society will stop that. But the right person in the White House can can, can slow down the process of corruption, can, can put more safeguards in the courts, can help push things in a right direction while the church does its work. So Look at Trump in that sense as a door jam, a wedge in the door, while the church goes about doing the work it's supposed to do.
0: One last question. Where can people find out more about you and where can they purchase your book?
1: They can go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. We have thousands of articles, op ed pieces, videos, teachings, debates. A-S-K-D-R-Brown, askdrbrown.org. They can order the book there. Or then go to Amazon, get the ebook or the paperback of Evangelicals at the Crossroads.
0: All right, Dr. Brown, thank you so much.
1: And My take, joy. All right, take care.
0: And thank you for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Caffeinated Thoughts podcast. If you happen to be listening to this podcast somewhere other than on our website, please be sure to check out caffeinatedthoughts.com. Again, that's caffeinatedthoughts.com. Or you can search Caffeinated Thoughts at the top of your search screen. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. That way you don't miss a single update. Uh, if subscribing to uh, a podcast uh, app is, is probably is more convenient for you and better for us. Um, there's a variety of ways you can do that. We're on Apple Podcasts. If you use us, if you follow us on or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to give us a five-star review. Uh, if you don't like what you hear, just forget I said anything about giving us a review. Uh, we're also on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, Podbean. So if there's somebody I'm missing, if there's an app you'd like to see us on, uh, you know, give me shoot me an email at Shane at and I'll try to make that happen. So thank you again, once again, for listening. This is Shane Vanderhart. Have a great rest of the week, everybody. Take care.